Hey everyone, I'm Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. This is not the everything that you need to know series, a series of different primers where I break down everything that you need to know about the crypto market, the stock market, and the economy. This is instead the series where I just talk about what happened in the market this week and just hit on some key points that I think need to be hit on. If you want to go ahead and hit subscribe, that would be super freaking awesome. Definitely something that I value more than Nvidia is being valued right now. Let's get right into it. So I'm going to be talking about the infrastructure bill. I'm going to be talking about the new Fed chair renomination. I'm going to be talking about Constitution Dow. I'm going to be talking about labor markets. I'm going to be talking about about our physical reality, of course, because that is my favorite thing to talk about. Derek Thompson tweeted off this super good tweet. There are a lot of things happening at once right now, and most of them are good, but some of them are less good. It's a play that is always available as a th take making community, but somehow nobody ever chooses to draw that card. So I think this is a really important point, and this is what I'm going to try and do throughout this piece. There's so much happening right now, and I talk about it all throughout the week. The housing market's happening, the infrastructure bill happened, the DAOs are happening, crypto is happening, inflation is happening, but you have to have a little bit of nuance in that discussion. Also, I'm having a bad hair day, so I apologize for whatever's going on on top of my head. Let's talk about the Fed chair. There will be a new Fed chair soon, either Powell again or Brainerd. Brainerd, a Federal Reserve board member, and she is a top contender. We're still waiting to hear the news. What's the difference between Powell and Brainerd's Jerome Powell, the current chair of the Federal Reserve. He will probably continue the policy that he's doing. A little bit hesitant around inflation, a little bit hesitant around the labor markets, a little bit hesitant to taper very quickly. He is very, very um, cautious around CBDCs, very, very cautious around crypto. Brainerd, she's pretty concerned about labor markets. She thinks that there is still obviously room towards full recovery, thinks that we can get there. She is warned against raising rates too fast in order to be reactive to what she thinks might be momentary inflation. She worries that we won't have this higher sustained inflation over the next few years and that raising rates quickly could, could really be impactful more towards hurting the labor market than actually dealing with inflation. Brainerd is also likely to be harsher on banks. And then she's also positive around the idea of a digital dollar for the central bank. And then she also has made climate change a very big priority for her agenda. I think the betting markets are pricing in PAL but who knows? A lot of uh, politicians have come out against Powell, Democrats specifically, because Elizabeth Warren was like, he's bad. The markets will probably be a little bit responsive if Brainerd gets chosen because they are pricing her in to be a little bit more dovish, meaning that she is not going to move on raising raises quickly. So the markets are like, more enthusiasm, more euphoria, please. So the other part of this narrative, it's good to have continuity during a crisis. The big question here is, are we still in a crisis? We have the debt ceiling date moved to December 15th. So that's when we'll figure out if the government is going to default on their debt or not, which will be super fun. Then we have the FOMC meeting on December 16th. So that's when the Fed will get together and be like, it's time for us to taper, whether that be raising rates, pulling back more on asset purchases, just make conditions a little bit harder for everybody to get money in. So things are a little bit volatile because there is a chance that the U.S. government cannot figure out the debt ceiling situation. And there's a chance that we do have increased tapering. And both of those things are going to get put pressure on the stock market and also put pressure on the economy. So things are a little bit volatile, right? And it'll be interesting over the next few weeks. But to Brainerd's point around what's going on with the labor market, so Joseph, who is an analyst at the BLS, runs a really good blog on the economy, and he published a piece, and I'll link it below, Americans are quitting their jobs. Here's why that's a good thing. A lot of people are quitting their jobs. It's, it's a very high rate of people quitting their jobs, all-time high. And in this piece, he describes the situation of the labor market and why people are quitting their jobs at 
record rates. And so it's not really how we think it is. The rise in quits is not a trend driven primarily by well-paid white-collar professionals. Instead, it is workers in lower-pay industries who also tend to be younger, lower-income, non-white, and subject to the most in-person interaction during the pandemic. The tightening labor market has helped strengthen these workers' bargaining positions while fostering competition among firms and accelerating investments in productivity-increasing methods and fixed capital. The labor market looks kind of funky at first, right? So the level of quits, turnover, etc., all that stuff is pretty high. High. But the movement is towards something that should be net positive for society. Like it's very good to have people get paid what they're worth and to have them have living wages and to be able to invest actually in R&D in sort of how we think about progressing society forward, productivity, right? Fixed capital. Now companies are essentially being held accountable. They have to pay living wages. They have to invest in technology and growth. It is good for people to get paid. It's very good for companies to invest in technology and growth. That is what we are seeing in the labor market with regards to who is quitting and where they're going. But it's also a really interesting backdrop against the supply chain issues because there's clear demographic issues. So the average sub age of a subcontractor is 55 years old, huge issues with what's going on with some aspects of physical labor. There's gaps in probably who's going to be able to fill those jobs. There's training gaps. Presumably there's also an issue with the ability to pay. So Amazon is snapping up workers with 3K checks and offering $22 an hour. Almost 80% of all builders nationwide are reporting labor disruptions, which easily could translate back into lack of available trained workers or lack of high pay, seeing sort of a gap in, once again, like this physical reality. It's very, very tough to solve for. There's also the issue of immigration policy here in the United States. Ben and I touched on that in a previous video, and this is an extremely important component of the labor market from all perspectives. Like any sort of job you look at, any sort of sector could net benefit from having immigration, from having diversity of thought, from having different people doing different jobs. And this is not just from a productivity perspective. This is from an innovation and a growth perspective. This is from Ethan Mollick. It is known that immigration is, is very good for increasing regional innovation in the short run while reducing inequality. It beats every trade policy, tax incentive, or grant-based approach. Officials who want their region to thrive need to encourage immigrants. And then the question becomes, there's still these gaps in the market that have to be filled somehow. Some of the gaps are caused by government policy, immigration policy. So governments make or destroy a nation, right? This is where the narrative of crypto is interesting. Because however you feel about it, okay, it's too volatile. The thesis of it is interesting. So the core thesis of crypto is to allow as many people in as possible so they can build as many things as possible. That's the core thesis. Whether or not you think it achieves that, I don't know. It gets into ownership. It gets into incentivizing people and attacked as a community. It gets into stewardship of ideas, controlling value to a permissionless mindset. Ownership and governance are probably two of the most important values here. Being able to control assets, vote on assets, remove intermediaries from transactions actions, how do you have a more efficient world? When we think about ownership in this online world, a lot of it does boil down into being able to participate in the financial upside of an entity and then being able to participate in the governance of an entity. And most of that is not good, right? People should benefit from the structure that they spend the most time with. People should have the optionality to voice their opinion. I know that people can go on Twitter and like say whatever they want. I know that people can benefit from buying stock in the company that they maybe work for. I'm just saying from a baseline level, like kind of having these 
values yes you should be an owner of this and yes you should be able to help decide where this sort of goes is interesting i think what's interesting about crypto here is that we're kind of talking about ownership and what it means to have a say we're just not used to having our voices heard we can vote whatever like but that's very detached from the actual government process with the school system you don't really get the opportunity to kind of have your opinion because there's always an opinion that you have to conform to markets are made from disagreement and so when you think about this and we think about ownership and we think about having a say markets are designed around that around having a say you're able to vote with your dollars that kind of creates this ownership structure in markets but we don't apply that to our real world right now we see a lot of dissent and anger at the way that the current system is designed i think there are a lot of lessons to be learned from what crypto is trying to achieve some aspects of it at least and so let's get into the infrastructure bill <laughs> i did a piece on the infrastructure bill with ben you can go and check that out if you want i try to remain objective about most things but as a member of a group who is inheriting the government <laughs> over the next 20 years it's just frustrating to see the disconnect from what things are are to what people perceive. I think the problems that we have could be solved with money somewhat. The supply chain could be greased with dollars, the housing situation could obviously use some investment, and of course higher wages for select sectors would be incredibly beneficial. But money does not solve everything, right? Obviously money doesn't solve everything. I think sort of the whiplash response to the infrastructure bill that I saw was that, oh, the government is just going to steal this money, they're going to run away with it, they're going to pad their own pockets, we should have private roads. Maybe we should have private roads, but who determines access to those roads? Is it paid entry? Who can pay for that? And what happens if they can't pay? And on the other side of that, the pol our politicians are failing. They play party games. It's very painful to kind of see this huge disconnect between what they want versus what maybe needs to be done. We kind of have this titanic mindset right now, and there was a really good piece in the New York Times around this. People seem to want to elevate themselves above others, a human tendency, but as this you know, clip states, a first-class ticket on the Titanic is still a ticket on the Titanic. The senseless yelling at each other is useless, but we know that, right? We know that the yelling and wasting time, standing there for eight hours, we all know that's inefficient. We still do it. What's the solution to a broken system? It's usually two things. So it'd be policy level intervention, which would either take a revolution at this point, or at least an entire new set of officials, or it would be outside capital, private money, to fund innovation because the government is busy being the government. Money is, is one side of the equation to fixing a broken system. And then hope is the other side, right? So like actually believing and stuff. We do need money, but we also need a shift in mindset because progress equals money plus mindset, hashtag grindset, you know, hashtag grinding every day. So let's talk about the Constitution DAO. This was a group of people that wanted to buy the Constitution. They organized a DAO, they accepted donations in ETH, USD, and roughly 20% of those donations were new addresses. So they onboarded a lot of new people into the crypto universe, but they lost the bid. And it was kind of this perfect contrast between the new world and the old world. There was just a number of barriers facing the Constitution DAO to sort of finalize this transaction. So they lost, but for a moment, and I watched it, I, I also donated my 0 0.01778 uh, because that's when the constitution was signed ETH to, to it because I was like sure but for a moment 
this very niche sector of the internet was united. Some people were not happy that it was happening. $40 million could go towards something, but it was sort of an interesting inflection point in this narrative that we have as a society. They didn't do it, but they got really close. I don't know if the goal itself was a good thing or a bad thing, but the thing itself, in my opinion, was kind of an introduction to possibility, to what can be achieved, to the barriers that can be crossed. It onboarded, you know, a lot of thousands of people into crypto and perhaps woke several more up to the possibility. I don't know. It was cool. It was hope to a certain degree. It seems like with all the financing, all the progress, all the ideas, we kind of still circle back to rich person gets more rich by profit taking. And that was one of the main issues that people had with the Constitution DAO. They were like, who's benefiting from this? Because somebody has to benefit. And that's the economic model, right? As people seek richness, they allocate their capital accordingly, which is why some things are severely underfunded. The main thing about money is that it has to find a home. So capital allocators, the people who end up housing the money, who decide, oh, I need to spend $40 million on a constitution, they end up deciding how those homes are built and who those homes are sold to, metaphorically speaking. It's like we see in the build to rent market, institutions coming in and snapping up homes and renting them out to people, preventing people from having equity ownership in a home, which is one of the fastest ways to grow well. So money doesn't solve everything, but from a capital allocation perspective, they're also able to decide what projects get invested in and how the needle of innovation ticks forward. Uh, and that's venture capital dollars, which are going towards Web3 right now, so crypto. Uh, so that should tell you something, I guess. They kind of decide the future. Also with the Constitution DAO, so the person who, which is the most ironic thing ever, the Constitution DAO, it was cool. It was hope to a certain degree, but the person who bought it, his name is Ken Griffin. He's the CEO of Citadel. It was just quite funny to see this billionaire hedge fund manager outbid 17,000 people for the Constitution of the United States. The metaphor was just astounding to me when I saw it, the news drop. Whoa, I, I didn't know if they were going to win or not. I think Ken Griffin, by doing that, has managed to enrage a certain sector of the internet. And it will be very interesting. I think it was actually better. And don't come for me, Constitution Dow people. I think it was actually better because I invested. I think it's actually better that this happened because now it's very clear that there might be some need for people to have more of a say versus billionaire hedge fund managers. Ken is going to take great care of the constitution. With all this being said, he's going to donate. There's going to be money towards constitution studies. So it's, it's net a good thing that he got the constitution, but it's net an interesting thing that it was him that got the constitution, this Reddit, GameStop, GME, like retail traders already don't like him. Now he managed to enrage a certain subsegment of the crypto population too. Rich people being capital allocators, but everybody's capital allocators in Hope is one aspect of the equation, which is what I think the Constitution Dow represented. And Ken is this big capital allocator who helped people to realize that they could be capital allocators. So Paul Tudor Jones, and this is going to be about Bitcoin, but I think the premise is really interesting. Paul Tudor Jones said something on CNBC back in 2020. I've never seen a store of value where you also have such great intellectual capital behind it. When you short the bond market as an inflation hedge, you're really betting on the fallacy of mankind rather than its ingenuity. I think this is a really interesting point. So here he was discussing inflation hedges being bullish or bearish and with Bitcoin ultimately bullish humanity because it's a bet on innovation. And I think there needs to be more bullish bets on humanity. I, I don't know if Bitcoin is the right or wrong tool for that, but the concept of an, an asset or investment strategy that productively enhances humanity and the world that lives behind it is a really important thesis to have. How can my money go towards companies that are going to make the world a marginally better place to live in? This gets into kind of how people think about money 
too, so lottery tickets are the investment vehicles for most people. Most people, they invest in the lottery. They go and they buy their ticket every week. The lottery paid for my college education, so very grateful for the lottery, but imagine if there was a different reality where lottery was not the way that people saw investing. Getting a bunch of people to invest in the constitution on the backdrop of what most people see as investing is, is not a bad thing. It kind of changes the narrative. There's definitely a gap between the reality and, and what whatever the heck is going on. But now a lot of people know, right? So a lot of people got exposed to the stock market. A lot of people got exposed to the crypto market. And there's a huge opportunity to kind of keep people playing playing the game and keep them in this game of wealth creation over the long term. What is the main point of this piece? The main point of this piece is that we are capital allocators. Where money goes matters. I think this piece was very broad. And the main point that I was trying to get across was really we are all capital allocators. Like I know, and I want to also highlight that I know a lot of people aren't in the position to feel like a capital allocator. I myself feel like that, where it's like, I don't have the money to invest. I don't, you know, I just go and I pay my bills. I, to I get it, trust me. What I'm, what I'm meaning to say from a very, very high level perspective, where money goes matters. The public companies that we invest in, the products that we buy, even where we live and we pay our taxes, all of that circulates back into this broad money universe that we all exist in. And I think the other beautiful thing about humans is that we're really wrong. We're wrong all the time. And the big capital allocators don't know what's going down, but you might. No one really knows the future, which is why it's important to allow people to participate in the upside of whatever is going to happen. And this is from Cortland Allen. I thought it was a very good screen grab. It was from Newsweek in 1995. After two decades online, I'm perplexed. It's not that I haven't had a gas of a good time on the internet. I've met great people and even caught a hacker or two. But today, I'm uneasy about this trendy and oversold community. Visionaries see a future of telecommuting workers, interactive libraries, and multimedia classrooms. They speak of electronic town meetings and virtual communities. Commerce and business will shift from offices and malls to networks and modems. And the freedom of digital networks will make government more democratic. Baloney. Do our computer pundits lack all common sense? The truth is, no online database will replace your daily newspaper, no CD-ROM will take place of a competent teacher, and no computer network will change the way government works. He was so wrong. Super freaking wrong. If you think about that and you paint it in contrast to how we talk about the metaverse and sort of the, the next iteration of whatever the heck's going to happen, a lot of people are saying the same thing. Oh, you'd never see me in a headset. It probably won't be a headset for how we access the metaverse because the world moves so quickly. And it's really important to allow people to participate in the financial upside of whatever happens. And so when we think about how we are wrong so often, you have to have people allowed to play the game. To circle back to the point about the labor markets, we have to take care of the physical the digital. This is something that I I think I hammer home probably too much hopefully on this channel. We have to invest in workers who are making this world here on earth a reality we can't forget about it and this is a really big problem in tech where they're like oh no tech's the only thing that matters that's all like i mean there was a tweet that i responded to where i don't think he meant it this way your digital resume is more powerful than your physical resume like baloney my guy come on come on my dude with all this being said there's huge room to reinvent the way that people think about their ownership to reinvent the way that we think about our autonomy as humans perhaps it's just changing hope so rather than you know hoping for this lottery ticket, that gamble in the sky, one day I'll get it. Perhaps there's more bullish bets on humanity that we can help people get into because there are potentially endless opportunities for a better future. I don't know what that would look like and a lot of this is just pie in the sky talking, but I think there needs to be more hope 
conversation within the financial markets. <laughs> a lot of times it just gets into, well, this company's going to go up. Or, and when they say that, oh, you know, the company's going to change the future, but who's investing in the company? Who's doing the investing? That's what we got to worry about too. So some things are good, some things are bad. <laughs> That's the point I'm trying to get across. So, oh, okay, what the heck? Uh, <laughs> so this one was definitely big brain, um, but the main takeaways, labor market's weird, uh, Fed chair is gonna be coming soon. And I think there needs to be more bullish bets on humanity. So thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks so much for spending time with me. I will be back next week. I hope that you're doing good. As always, feedback, thoughts, comments, anything below, it was always appreciated. If you wanna go ahead and hit subscribe, that would be a shoulder tap in the metaverse. All right. Thanks so much. I'll see you soon. Goodbye.